Well, take your Bible and open to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, where we are tonight in our study. We come to Romans 8, we actually uh, have made it all the way to verse 9, but uh, I want to begin uh, by reading back, starting in verse 5, uh, just to kind of get a little bit into the flow, if you will. So Romans 8, starting in verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who indwells you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for you are living accord, or if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. As we come to our study um, tonight here in Romans chapter 8, uh, it really is a, a mountain peak a chapter, uh, if you will. And it really helps us understand the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. His work is on a full display in the passage. I think I told you previously that uh, he's only mentioned once, Holy Spirit's only mentioned once in the previous seven chapters, but some 20 times here in uh, this chapter alone. And, and, and you'll remember that there's one theme that Paul's working out through this entire book of Romans. The one major theme in the book of Romans is justification by grace through faith based on the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the truth is, biblically, that if you've been justified by faith through Christ, then uh, you're going to be sanctified. You will be dramatically changed, dramatically transformed. And that's what these verses that I just read before us are about. They're about the change that takes place in the believer's life when they're born again. Now, the term born again is not used uh, in these verses per se, but the reality of that term, the reality of the new birth is evident uh, with uh, in them very clearly. So there's a dramatic change that takes place in the believer's life at the moment of salvation. And uh, if those dramatic changes aren't seen in, in a person's life, then there's really no uh, authentic, genuine claim to salvation. Because it's the person of the Holy Spirit who takes us uh, from the realm of condemnation to the realm of no condemnation, right? Again, the top of the chapter, verse 1, there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen, right? And, and it's a wonderful truth. And those wonderful words, the wonderful reality of the no condemnation status means that we'll never again experience God's judgment for sin because we've been made righteous in the person of Jesus Christ, delivered from the horrors of uh, God's righteous judgment that we deserve because of our sin, but taken out of that realm of condemnation into the realm of no condemnation because Jesus Christ has paid our penalty in full. Therefore, because of that reality, most certainly we are and we will be changed, transformed, because the Holy Spirit is going to confirm that. The Holy Spirit is going to uh, con conform us to that reality. He's going to confirm the fact that we have left the condemnation status and moved into the no condemnation status. Because he's the one who frees us from sin and death. 
He's the one who enables us to fulfill God's law. He's the one who changes our nature and empowers us for victory over sin in our lives. And it's all done by God's tremendous grace. Verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So again, by the person of the Holy Spirit, we've been freed from sin and death. By the person of the Holy Spirit, we've been freed from sin's power, sin's authority, sin's uh, dominion, sin's penalty, and one day we'll be freed from sin's very presence. Amen? Because of the substitutionary work of the person of Jesus Christ. And now, because of Christ, because of the person of the Holy Spirit, we are able to obey God, able to obey God's law. We've been granted the very righteousness of the person of Jesus Christ himself. And again, not, it's not just that we're forensically or legally forgiven. In Christ, we've been regenerated. In Christ, we've been uh, converted. In Christ, we've been made new creations, transformed and changed again by the person of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the direction of our life or the bent, if you will, the bent of our life, is no longer, according to the text, no longer walking according to the flesh. That's what the Bible says. But according to the Spirit, according to the Spirit's power, because again, the Holy Spirit has come and changed our nature. Now, we've seen in our study there's only two kinds of people in the world. We've seen the reality that, biblically, God never divides people by culture. Biblically, God never divides people by the color of their skin. God never divides people by their educational status, by their achievements, by their sex, by their possessions. God recognizes differences amongst men, but the only differences that really matter between men are those who are of the flesh and those who are of the spirit. And again, we saw that reality that only two kinds of uh, people in the world the last couple of times that we were together studying in this chapter. Again, those according to the flesh and those according to the Spirit. It took us, I think, two times to get through these next few verses. Verse 5, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So again, all men in the world are under one of two dominating influences, under one of two dominating powers. One of these uh, 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 principles that, that directs and influences the bent of their lives, uh, that affects their thoughts, their reasoning, their, their pursuits, their affections. Uh, verse 5 says, those who are according to the flesh, that would be the non-Christian. Right? The unconverted man, the natural man apart from Christ. He is, has the bent of his life set on the things, uh, set their minds on. Again, it refers to the basic orientation of their life, the patterns of their life, if you will. Those who are according to the flesh set their minds on, here it is, the things of the flesh. What does that mean? It means anything and everything apart from God. Anything and everything apart from God because they have no desire for the things of God. And those who are according to the flesh, those who are in that category, the non-Christian, the unconverted man, are spiritually dead, verse 6. For the mindset on the flesh is death. Again, they're unresponsive to the things of God. They live their lives as if God does not exist. Alienated from God, separated from God, uh, apart from God in every aspect of their lives. In fact, the non-Christian, those who are according to the flesh, are hostile towards God. They're in constant rebellion against Him. Haters of God. Haters of Christ. 
rejectors of God's truth, at war with God, and unwilling and unable to submit themselves to anything that God says. Verse 7. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, it is not even able to do so. So that's the non-Christian. The non-Christian, the natural man, those who are according to the flesh, cannot please God. Verse 8. Those who are in the flesh can't please him, right? They cannot please God. So listen, the the non-Christian can't do the one thing that they were created to do. The one thing that all men were created to do is to worship and to serve God, right? Therefore, the non-Christian forfeits the very reason for existence. But the Christian is completely different. The Christian has, again, been completely changed, completely transformed because of the person of of Jesus Christ and, and by the transforming work and power of the Holy Spirit. He says in that very same section, those who are according to the Spirit now set their mind on the things of the Spirit. So that man who is dominated and controlled by the person of the Holy Spirit, he's consumed with the person of God himself. The one whom he once hated, he now loves. The one at which he was at once uh, war, he loves, he's concerned about him, he's concerned about his glory. And he desires that all men would come to know him and that all men would bow their knees and worship and praise and adoration of him. Those who are, according to the Spirit, are consumed with the person of Jesus Christ. Who he is, what he has done. Those who are, according to the Spirit, are consumed with a relationship, their own relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. They want to know him better. They want to love him more. Those who are, according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Therefore, that person is consumed with the Bible, consumed with God's truth. They love God's word. They, they want to know God's word more. They, they detest anyone who would misrepresent God's word, anybody who would do any harm to God's word. Those who are according to the Spirit, therefore, are concerned with men's souls. They're, they're concerned with the condition of their own soul, but they're concerned with the condition of souls of men around them. They want to see men and women reconcile to God. They want to see people come to genuine knowledge of the truth and repentance and faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Therefore, those who are according to the Spirit are consumed with the gospel. They want other men to know the great hope, the great help that God has for them, his great love that he has bestowed upon men through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, those who are according to the Spirit are consumed with holiness. They have a desire to live righteously and obediently before God. They they praise God. They worship God. They uh, live uh, obedient, righteous lives before him because of his great transforming grace in their lives. Therefore, those who are according to the Spirit are consumed with eternity. They're consumed with God's people. They're consumed with prayer. A man who is according to the Spirit has his mind set on the things of the Spirit. Therefore, he's consumed with all of the things of of, of God himself, all of the holy things. So the mind set, or the mind that's according to the flesh, it it also goes on in verse uh, 6, and he says, uh, is life and peace. Those who are according to the Spirit have their mindset on the spirit is life and peace they enjoy life they enjoy peace with god they have a new life that's brought to them again through christ the transforming change that has happened to them in time peace with god objective peace therefore subjective peace in their lives because of christ so again the man who lives according to the spirit is under the direction of the power of the holy spirit he enjoys peace in the midst of any circumstance He enjoys peace in the presence of all circumstances, no matter how difficult circumstances are around him. 
Because no matter how difficult circumstances are around him on a personal level, national level, international level, the, the person who is in Christ, the person who is, according to the Spirit, ultimately knows that nothing can ever separate him from the love of God through the person of Jesus Christ. Therefore, he always has reason to rejoice. Always has reason to be joyful. That person who understands the truth can live joyous, righteous, victorious lives always in spite of external circumstances or above uh, external circumstances. So the lives and the affections of the believer and the unbeliever are dramatically different. There's a sharp contrast. Again, the believer verse or the uh, of the unbeliever verse eight: those who are in the flesh they cannot please God. So those who are in the flesh are dominated by the unredeemed sinful nature, their unredeemed sinful nature. Those who do not know God, they, they, they don't love him. They're in rebellion against him. They are still under control of their sinful nature and can never please God, as it says in one translation. It's what the theologians would call total depravity. It does not mean that phrase total depravity doesn't mean that a person is as wicked as one could possibly be. Because the truth is not every person is as wicked as everyone else. There are degrees of wickedness. There are some people who are far more wicked uh, externally than others. There are some people who are actually quite uh, pleasant or kind, if you will, basically good people, at least from an external standpoint. But every person who's unconverted, those who are in the flesh, those who are according to the flesh, can't please God. Therefore, the entirety of their being in total is depraved. That's total depravity. The entirety of their being is still sinful, unredeemed. They're all part of that. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They're all part of that, that group of people that there is none righteous, no, not one. And no unredeemed individual can change their nature by themselves on their, or on their own, by anything they do. Uh, no man can change the, the, their condition of wickedness. No man can change his depravity. Uh, the condition of corruption is too deep. Uh, their corruption causes them to exist in uh, a, a spiritual death that is, brings hostility, a, a, an atmosphere of hostility towards God. Again, they're unable and unwilling to please God. And for the unbeliever, that's the position they'll remain eternally unless they repent. Right? For the unbeliever, that's how they're going to be all the way into eternity, even into eternal condemnation, even into the, uh, a literal place called hell where they will continue to hate God and continue to be alienated from God, continuing to be unable and unwilling to please God, continually being corrupt and wicked throughout eternity. If a transformation is going to change or a transformation is going to happen, it can only happen by God's mercy through the substitutionary work of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit applying that reality into our lives. Jeremiah, got through the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 13, verse 23, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then all, you also can you do good that are accustomed to doing evil? And the answer is absolutely not, right? There's no way. It's only the Holy Spirit who can change us. It's only the Holy Spirit who can change our nature. It's only the Holy Spirit who can take us from those according to the flesh to those according to the Spirit. So again, verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. So again, the verses that we're about to get into talk to us about this change that takes place in a believer's life because of the person of the Holy Spirit. Again, there's a sharp, distinct contrast between the unbeliever and the believer. 
Because a Christian is now in a new position. A Christian's in a new position. A new position from where they once were when they were apart from Christ before they came to Christ. So the first thing that Paul's going to tell us in these verses is that a Christian is now under the power and the authority and the uh, influence of the Holy Spirit. A Christian is under the power, the authority, and the influence of the Holy Spirit. Verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So verse 9 says of our past, we were in the flesh, but now. But now presently, we're not in the flesh. Right? We're not in the flesh, but we're in the Spirit. The NIV says, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. And, and the word you there in verse 9 is emphatic, meaning this is something that is true of every Christian. You absolutely are not in the flesh. That's the reality of every genuine Christian. You are not in the flesh. You are not dominated by or controlled by the carnal, sinful nature as you once were. But rather, you now are controlled by the person of the Holy Spirit. You, you are not controlled by the sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit of God. You're not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. It's an indicative. It, it's a statement of fact uh, that describes the, the dramatic change that takes place in a believer's life at the moment of salvation. And, and I was kind of thinking about this to, this afternoon as I was kind of reading through my notes again, thinking about everything we try to do from this pulpit is driven by reality, by truth. Not by how I feel about it, <laughs> right? By the Word of God. The Word of God is the standard. I'm not trying to be negative, but how many Bible studies, how much stuff in Christian world is driven by emotion? Or somebody just up there talking about something that makes no sense is not driven from the text of Scripture. And that's why people struggle in life on a Christian level, Christians, because they don't think deeply about truth, because they're probably not exposed to it enough. It's the truth that transforms and changes our lives because the truth has to change our thinking before our thinking can change our ex- external uh, actions. And again, these are statements, this is an indicative. This is a statement of fact. You are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. You're controlled by the person of the Holy Spirit. Again, that's a reality. That's a, that's a description of the dramatic change that has taken place in our lives from who we used to be to who we are now in Christ. That's truth. Those who are in the flesh can't please God. However, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. So again, when he uses that little phraseology, in the Spirit, that means as a believer, you are now in an entirely new realm. One commentator puts it like this. He says, it's like a fish who lives in the water... But all of a sudden, he becomes a bird, and now he lives in the air. Now, it's kind of a funny little illustration. I got that, but it's a great picture of the level of transformation that occurs in us because of Christ, because of our new nature now in Christ. Right? We used to live under the authority and the influence and the power of our unredeemed sinful flesh, but now we're no longer controlled by our former sinful nature, but now by the Spirit. Because in the Spirit, we are under the the Spirit's control, under the Spirit's influence, under the Spirit's uh, uh, power, His control. We once were living in the world according to the sinful course of this world. Uh, We used to be a part of that environment of 
of wrath, of children of wrath, even like the rest. But, but God in his kindness and God in his mercy and his sovereignty, he reached down and he picked us up. He, he plucked us up out of that mess and he, he changed us from who we used to be to who we are now. Now we live in a completely new environment. From swimming under the water, if you will, to now flying freely in the air. Transformation. Now, we might still be physically in this world, but we're not of this world. Uh, we used to be in the world. We used to be of the world. We used to be a, a part of the realm of the condemned, but no longer. Because of Christ, we are no longer under condemnation. And therefore, in the Spirit, we're no longer in the flesh. Again, we've been placed in an entirely new kingdom. Colossians 1.13 For he, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. As a Christian, we're in an entirely new position from where we used to be. The second thing that Paul says in this text in front of us is that we have a new possession. A new possession. A Christian is now indwelt by the Holy Spirit. However, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Again, the NIV says, you are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. So again, that's the description of a Christian. That's the character of a Christian. That's the picture of a Christian. A Christian is not somebody that just goes to church. A Christian is not somebody who's just been baptized. A Christian is one who's in vital union with the living Christ. A Christian is no longer controlled by his former sinful nature, but now he's controlled by the person of the Holy Spirit. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if indeed in the Greek is the word iper, which really has the meaning that, uh, and could be translated as a sense, S-I-N-C-E, sense, or, or seeing that. It's uh, specifying a condition. So the truth stated positively in verse 9, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, sense, or seeing that the Spirit of God dwells in you, negatively, the next phrase says, and if anybody does not have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. So the proof that we are truly Christians, the proof that we are no longer under condemnation, the proof of our salvation is found in the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells or indwells or lives in you if you're a Christian. And the word dwell there in the Greek is okeo, which means to be in one's own home or to take up residence. And this is something, again, that happens at the moment of salvation, the moment you become a believer, the moment of your conversion. At the time of your salvation, the person of the Holy Spirit immediately takes up residence within you, and that's where the change occurs. That's when the change occurs. And the Holy Spirit doesn't come and dwell within us because of something we do, like, quote-unquote, accepting Jesus. The Holy Spirit indwells the believer. He takes up residence in the believer, and he becomes the pervasive influence in your life because he wants to be there, because that's what he does. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, seeing that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Again, it's something that happens at the moment of conversion, something that happens at the moment of salvation. It's not something that happens down the road some period of time later. Not something that you pray for. It's not something that you plead for. It's not something that's only evident if you have the gift of tongues, and as many people falsely teach. And if you don't have the gift of tongues, <clears throat> then that means that you don't have the Holy Spirit. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's error. 
However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's a statement of fact. And the Apostle Paul says that for the Christian, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, now dwells or makes his home permanently in and will never leave the true believer. In fact, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he says he doesn't belong to Christ. It's an amazing truth. That that says a, a man who's a Christian is not a man who's just adopted a particular set of theological beliefs or intellectual beliefs. But a man who's a Christian <clears throat> is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. It's not just that we're justified. It's not just that we've been forgiven our sin. It's not just that the power of sin has been broken in us, that the punishment that is due our sin has been absorbed by Christ. It's more than that. It's not just that we've been given a new nature. The truth is the Holy Spirit is now taking up residence within us. Or the Holy Spirit now lives in the man who is a follower of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who's a Christian. It's an amazing statement. It's an amazing statement. It's an astonishing doctrine that God would live with men. The omnipresent God, the, meaning that God is everywhere present, the omnipotent God, the all-powerful God, the eternal God, would condescend to come and live with men. Who now, according to Paul, is said to dwell in or live in us, the church of the living God. The Holy Spirit, upon conversion, has moved in the third person of the Blessed Trinity, has taken up residence within us. Therefore, he becomes a new dominating influence in our life. He becomes a new dominating force in our life. Now think about in uh, John 14, the upper room discourse. Remember the situation. Jesus is about to leave his disciples uh, in order to be crucified. Then he's going to ascend to, <clears throat> to the Father, and they are fearful that he's going away. He's going to leave them. But the Lord wants to comfort them. So he assures them that he's going to send the Holy Spirit who would live inside of them in his absence. So put a little mark there in your Bible because we'll come back. But just go to uh, John chapter 14. John 14 verse 16. John 14, 16, Jesus speaking, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. The authorized version says he dwelleth within you and shall be in you. The NIV says he lives with you and will be in you. One writer says this, the Spirit is going to move in. It's going to take over your life. It's going to give you everything that you need to live the Christian life because it's impossible to live the Christian life on your own, but the Holy Spirit is going to empower you for that endeavor. Drop down to verse 20 of, that, of, of John 14. In that day you shall know that I am in my Father... You in me and I in you. That's mutual indwelling. Look at verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. 
ESV, we will come and make our home with him. New English translation, we will come and take residence within him. So wherever we are for the rest of our lives, no matter what, we're never alone. Because it's the person of the Holy Spirit who now dwells within us. Therefore, the one who is in us is the all-sufficient source and supply of all of our, our strength, all of our resources that we need to meet every demand of God in our lives according to the will of God. 2 Peter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of uh, our Jesus Christ our Lord, verse 3. 2 Peter 1, verse 3. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Right? The Holy Spirit is going to come and take residence within us. He's going to be the one who supplies us what we need for the Christian life because it's impossible for us on our own to live the Christian life. Jesus says, I'm going to go away. It's going to be okay. I'm going to send you a helper. And he's going to be with you forever. John 15, verse 4, uh, verse 4, abide in me and I'll abide in you. It's a tremendous truth. Now go back to Romans. Romans 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. He abides in you. He lives in you. Listen to these verses. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Paul told the Corinthians, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own? 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Ephesians 2, verse 22, We are being built together into a dwelling in God the Spirit. 2 Timothy 1, 14, Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure that has been entrusted to you. 1 John 3, verse 24, Now the one who keeps his commandments abides or dwells in him, and he in him, and we know this, that he dwells in us or he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given to us. It's a tremendous truth. And I'd go so far to say is uh, that if you don't find this absolutely amazing and perhaps somewhat uh, hard to understand, I don't know that you're hearing the words that I'm saying to you. Hey, this is an amazing doctrine. This is a doctrinal truth that is elevated. This is a doctrinal truth that's somewhat uh, baffling to the mind, even to the imagination. We can read what it says, but then to comprehend that reality is the next step of applying that truth into our lives. The fact that at conversion, at the moment of conversion, the Holy Spirit of God now dwells within us. We who are once dead in trespasses and sins, we who are aliens, wretches, rebels, uh, children of wrath, disobedient, we who are living according to the lust of our flesh and of our mind, we were, who are living under the dominion of the prince of the power of the air. We who are sons of disobedience, just like everybody else. We who were at enmity with God. Uh, and God was at enmity against us. Unable to please him on any level. To stop and think about the reality of that's who we were. But now you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Since the spirit of God dwells in you is an amazing privilege of reality. God dwells in you. There's nothing compared to being a Christian. 
And we've got to start thinking biblically about everything across the board, especially in the times in which we live, where the truth of the, in the culture has been completely jettisoned. We've got to think biblically and understand and apply truth in our lives as we go through whatever's coming next. God dwells in you. I didn't say you're little gods like the false religions, but the Holy Spirit, the person of God, dwells within the believer. There's nothing compared to being a Christian. And you go to work, you go to your your, your job, you go to school, you go to your in-laws, you go to the grocery store, and, and the world looks at you and they laugh at you. They mock you. They scorn you. They think you're a fool. They think you've lost your mind. They despise you. They ridicule you. They hate you. They hate you. They hate your God. They hate Christ. Because they don't have a clue. They don't understand. 1 Corinthians 2.14 A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they're foolishness to him. He can't understand them because they're spiritually praised. The verse just previous to this. The mindset on the flesh is death. The mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. It doesn't subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh can't please God. The difference between the believer and the unbeliever is stark. But if you're a Christian, you're in a privileged, blessed position because the Holy Spirit now dwells within you. The Holy Spirit lives within you. And if the Holy Spirit dwells within us, and he does, so then does both God the Father and God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the text. You probably already noted it, but it's a very Trinitarian text. Verse 9, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, there we are, he does not belong to him. If Verse 10, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. He just keeps repeating it. The Trinity is everywhere in those verses. Charles Hodge, the great uh, theologian, reminds us this. He says, while there is only one God, the living and true God, yet there are three persons in the Godhead. As these three persons are the same in substance, glory, and power, and where the Father is, there is the Son, and where the Son is, there is the Spirit. Donald Gray, Bar- Donald Gray Barnhouse writes this. He says, What courage this should give to the trembling souls who are just learning to look away from self and to fix their attention on Christ. What calm this should give to those who are inclined to be agitated because they are only learning to rest completely in Christ and to look away from confidence in the flesh. Another tremendous statement. You, Christian, are absolutely not in the flesh, but rather you, Christian, are in the Spirit, since you, Christian, have the Spirit of the triune God living within you, dwelling in you. The great D. Martin Lloyd-Jones challenges our thinking, elevates our heart Godwards when he says this. He asks the question, do we normally think of ourselves as Christians in this way? And the answer is, no, we should, so we better start thinking right. Do we normally think of ourselves as Christians in this way? When the devil attacks you and comes to you to depress you, when you are weary and tired and when you are persecuted and everyone seems against you and you begin to wonder whether there is much point in being a Christian, this is the answer, he says. Just remember who is dwelling and residing within you. 
Just remember who has made his home in you. When you're tempted to sin, remember that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. That's a pretty good observation. He goes on, he says this, we approach these matters so negatively. And for that reason, we fail so frequently. People come to me and say, well, I'm praying that God would deliver me from the sin. But what they really need is to realize that the Holy Spirit is dwelling within their hearts. That is the way to meet the devil. We must not be negative. We must not nearly be praying to be delivered. We need to realize who is dwelling in our bodies. And when we realize who's dwelling in our bodies, then we'll find it difficult to abuse or misuse that body. He says, let us meditate more on these things. Let us contemplate them. Let us spend time with them. Let us remind ourselves daily of them. He says, this is the real secret of assurance and of enjoying the Christian life of being more than conquerors and being such that God can use us to attract others to like knowledge and to like privilege. That's a tremendous statement, a helpful statement. Boy, the first thing that's true about the Christian is he's no longer who he once was. He's no longer under the power and the authority, the influence of the flesh. But now the Christian is under the power, the authority, and the influence of the person of the Holy Spirit. And the second thing that is true about the Christian, the Christian is now indwelt with the Spirit of God. God dwells in us. God makes his home in us. That's why Jesus Christ says, I will be with you always. I'll never leave you or forsake you. So when we think we're going it alone, we're not listening to truth, right? How many times have I said from this pulpit, we need to speak the truth to ourselves, not listen to ourselves. We need to speak truth to our hearts, the reality of what God says to be true, not what the world says, not what we feel about, but what does God say to be true? We need to speak truth to our own hearts. The third thing that's amazing about this portion of Scripture, as it continues on, is the Christian belongs to Christ. A Christian belongs to Christ. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit, he does not belong to him. So the Christian belongs to Christ. Again, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Verse 20. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Listen to this uh, series out of uh, John 17. John 17, 6. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me. They have kept your word, verse 9. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you have given me. For they are yours and all things are that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. Verse 24 of that chapter. Father, I desire that they may also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am. That they may see the glory which you have given to me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. I mean, Christ is our advocate with the Father. He pleads for in front of the Father on behalf of those whom the Father has given to him, because he's our great high priest, but we belong to him. Those whom you have given me, those whom you have given me, those whom you've given me, you're not your own. Belong to somebody else. Back in Romans chapter 7, there was that analogy, right? Paul, so, Paul says basically, when we belong to Christ, we belong to him because we're married to him. We're his bride. We, we've received all the blessings and benefits that come with that union because we're his. And we belong to Christ, and because we belong to Christ, nothing or no one can ever separate us from him. 
No one can ever take us away from him. We can never be removed from our relationship to him. John 6 and 37. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Verse 39. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. John 10 and 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, because I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Romans eight thirty five. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep being slaughtered. But in all these things we are overwhelmingly to conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because the Christian belongs to Christ. You're not your own. Do you think you can go to bed tonight and lay your head down and not worry about things in the world? I think so. Because of that reality, you belong to Christ. That's enough to give you some joy in your life. The Christian belongs to Christ and no one or no thing will ever separate us from the love of God through the person of Jesus Christ. That's eternal security. That's the perseverance of the saints. That's the promise that if you know God and you know Christ salvifically, you will see glory. For again, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the Christian now is under the power and the authority and the influence of the Holy Spirit. The Christian now is indwelt by the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Christian now belongs to Christ. However, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Therefore, again, it's crystal clear that if the Spirit of God doesn't dwell in you, then you're not regenerate, right? You're not saved. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If a person gives no evidence of the presence and the power and the fruit of the person of the Holy Spirit in their life, if that person has no desire for the things of God, no desire for rejection of sin or a passion to please God, then that person is not indwelt by the person of the Holy Spirit, and then that person does not belong to Christ. Therefore, that kind of person has no legitimate claim upon Christ as Savior. Right? There's a whole lot of people, and I won't go into it, but there's a whole lot of people who have quote-unquote accepted Jesus who are not converted. Because there's no evidence of life in them. And I just pounded it for the last 40 minutes that Christ is in you if you're a believer. Holy Spirit is in you if you're a believer. If you're a believer, you're radically different from who you used to be. If you've been justified, you're going to be sanctified. That's what the Bible says. One commentator says this, because these verses are intended to encourage the believer in Rome that they do indeed have the Spirit of God within them, the one who is actively working in their lives to produce Christ-likeness, leading them further and further into personal godliness. And the moment you begin to be lured back into the world, the Spirit of God is there to convict you and to cause you to confess your sin, repent, and turn back on the path of Christ-likeness. That's helpful. 
That's the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit. Think about your life before you came to Christ. You sinned with impunity, never thought about it. You repent, come to faith in Christ. You sin, and now what? Bothers you. There's that voice that says, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't turn that on. Where does that come from? Oh, probably from the devil. Probably from my fallen flesh. Well, the devil, all he does is tell lies, and all my fallen flesh wants is to uh, appease itself. So if any kind of suggestions come into your mind to flee from sin and to pursue righteousness, I can tell you where that comes from. Not you, not me, but it's the person of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. That's what the text says. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the sense, or sense the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And because that is true, that the Christian is now under the authority, the influence of the Holy Spirit, and dwelt by the person of the Holy Spirit, he now belongs to Christ. Verse 10, And if, again, or since, Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Now, now again, you got the work of the Trinity here, right? You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, right? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, right? The Spirit of Christ, all terms interchangeably used of God. So since Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. So what does that mean? Though the body is dead because of sin. Well, we're saved, we're forgiven, we're transformed, we're given new natures. Our nature has been changed. We love God. We love his word. Uh, We hate our sin. We want to please God. And now, because of the person of the Holy Spirit, we now have the power to please the Lord. However, we're still incarcerated in this fallen human flesh. Our bodies, our physical bodies, made up of flesh and bones, are dead. Though the body is dead because of sin. The principle of decay, the principle of death, the seed of decay, is in our physical makeup. The corruption is there because of sin. Our sin and sin in the universe. And every day, the sad truth is that internal corruption of sin becomes more obvious. The process of corruption becomes more and more evident to everyone around us, or you, if you're honest, if you look in the mirror. Right? That principle of corruption. These bodies are on recall, amen? There's a recall out for this model. I'm thankful for that. Because one day these bodies are going to be done away with. One day these bodies are going to be eliminated. Because from dust we came to dust we're going to return. This physical body stained with sin is never going to enter into God's perfect heaven. Sin and sickness and death and disease and weaknesses are going to come for these physical bodies. And then one day these bodies are going to cease to function. We're going to die. And that's why even for the Christian... Uh, apart from the rapture of the church, that even the Christian is going to face death, not as a penalty for sin as on a personal level, because sin has, Christ has bore that penalty for us. But the Christian is going to face death. These physical bodies are going to die because sin has to be destroyed, even in our physical bodies. Sin has to be destroyed. And when we are done with these bodies, the Bible says we're going to get a new one. This human body that is corrupted with fallenness and subject to the principle of death that is currently dying and currently uh, wasting away day by day, we're going to get a new one, and this earthly one is going to be replaced by a heavenly one. 
Christ is in you, though the body is dead uh, because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. So again, although our physical bodies are decaying, we are alive spiritually is what he's saying. And and the word spirit here is not the Holy Spirit, it's the human spirit. What Paul is doing is, is he's setting up a contrast. Since Christ is in you, on the one hand, though the body is dead because of sin, yet on the other, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Uh, your body is good as dead, yet your spirit is alive. Uh, you're, you have a seed of life in you. The, the Christian, again, is one with Christ in Christ. United with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Even though your body is dead, and even though your body is going to die, your spirit is alive, your spirit is regenerate. Because the Christian, although he lives in a body of decay, has received this new principle of life. He's been born again, born from above, born a new creation. And that new spiritual life is available now here in time, and it's available here in time because of righteousness, because of Christ's righteousness. Again, verse 10, Since Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Since Christ is in you. And again, it's a remarkable statement. Since Christ is in you, you're in Christ. Since Christ is in you, you're united to Christ. Uh, You have become partakers of his nature, his grace. You have all things now in common with him. You have now his life, eternal life in you. Since Christ is in you, your nature has been changed. Since Christ is in you, your sin has been forgiven. Since Christ is in you, you're now under a new authority, a new power, a new influence. Since Christ is in you, you're now indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Since Christ is in you, you long to please God. Since Christ is in you, you love him. Since Christ is in you, you now have the power to obey him. Since Christ is in you, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and now you belong to Christ. Since Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, although your outward man is perishing, the inner man is being renewed day by day, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. So if you're a believer, you have a new power, right? You have new power in Christ. We have lives that now can uh, obey God. We have a new position that we, different from what we used to have. We used to be in the flesh, but now we're in the spirit. We have a new possession. We've been indwelt by the person of the Holy Spirit. And now again, we have a new power. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of, of righteousness. So what's going to happen since Christ is in you? What's, what's going to happen when these physical bodies die, when they wear out? Someone once said this. It's a remarkable statement. He says, the day of your death is going to be far better than the day of your birth. That's thinking biblically about life. That's reality from a biblical level. The day of your death is going to be far better than the day of your birth. Paul says it like this, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your immortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. So what does that mean? It means there's going to be a resurrection. It means there's going to be a physical resurrection of our bodies. That again, one day we're going to get a glorified body. One day we're going to get a glorified body that's free from sin and death. That's what it means. Since Christ is in you, since the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, since God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that means there awaits for you a wonderful future. That one day he will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. 
So therefore, no matter what happens in time, no matter what happens with these physical bodies that are wearing out, because of the person of Jesus Christ, because we're united with him and he's united with us, because his power has defeated both sin and death on our behalf, we're going to ultimately defeat sin and death on a personal level. Paul told the Corinthians, for this perishable must put on imperishable. This mortal must put on immortality. When this perishable will have been put on imperishable, then this mortal will have put on immortality. Then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, but the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God that he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? It's a wonderful truth. The day of your death is going to be far better than the day of your birth. Christ is in you. You have a new position. You have a new possession. You have a new power. You have a new prospect of a wonderful future, a new future. Because Christ has overcome death, so we too who follow him, we who are united with him, we too will overcome death. Which is tremendous hope in a world of hopelessness. Tremendous truth in a world that fears death. This whole world is being moved this direction, that direction, because the unbeliever fears death. There could not be any more spectacular time to be alive on the planet as a Christian in the time in which we live because the whole world has gone crazy. Amen? And it's only us who know the truth. It's only us who have hope. It's only the truth that sets men free. We've got to start thinking biblically. Got to stop being Debbie Downers. Life is terrible and everything's awful. It is. I read the, I read the end of the book. It's going to be okay. The day of your death is better than the day of your birth because of the person of Jesus Christ. We have hope. Nobody else has it. Not just the time of Christmas, but it's just the time in which we live that we have the opportunity to share truth with people because they are being manipulated by the prince of the power of the earth. They are being lied to over and over and over again. It is fear that is motivating the, uh, and fueling the fire of the depravity and the insanity across this planet. And it's only us who know the person of truth who's overcome death that can give men hope that they need. COVID, cancer, car accident, doesn't matter to me. It's irrelevant to me. The day of my death is going to be better than the day of my birth because Jesus Christ has overcome sin and death. Amen. Let's pray our Father and our God. We're thankful for that reality. Thankful for that wonderful truth that Jesus Christ, he is absolutely everything to us. We praise you. Thank you for your word that takes us deep down into truth that challenges our mind and thinking and brings us back up so that we might live righteous lives, holy lives, that we might live lives according to the truth, that we might worship and praise and adore you in a dark world that has no hope. We're thankful for your truth that transforms and changes our life, that changes our, uh, the way we think. We're thankful for the reality of the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit. And all praise belongs to you, our God. Thank you for a great day of worship. Thank you for these folks. May you help us all to live rightly before you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.